Our text today is from Ephesians 4, 29 through 32. Please rise as we read God's Word. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And thus far the reading of God's word and all God's people said. You may be seated. Well, I have two Sundays to preach before we start the Lenten season and on February 17th. Uh, next Lord's Day, Dr. Ben Merkel will be here in the pulpit, and then I'll be back. So today's sermon and next week's sermon will be tied together. We all have a problem with forgetting. Perhaps your children have that occasionally. When you ask them about something and their reply is, I forgot. Well, uh, we have a tendency also, I think, to be hearers of the Word, but not doers of the Word. And so we must constantly be reminded of what we already know, uh, but still don't know at another level. I'm 65 years old, and I have heard what I'm going to say to you today many times. I have spoken it to people many times, but apparently I need to hear it again because I'm still not doing what God told me to do. At least I'm not doing it all the time. I'm not quite there. In fact, sometimes I seem to be pretty far away. So I know most of you have heard this before, but I have some different questions for you. Have you done it before? Not have you heard it before, but have you done it? And are you still doing it? Has this particular form of godliness become the habit of your life so that to not do it is an exception not the rule a mere form of godliness is not sufficient of course without the substance of the godliness in many ways knowing but not doing is far worse than not knowing in fact when we know it but we don't do what we know we call that hypocrisy which is much worse And so the pulpit is the main place where the word is delivered and general counsel is given. That's why being here on a regular basis on Sunday mornings over a long period of time is healthy when we receive the word with eagerness as the Bereans did. As Pastor Williams still wrote in his book on pastoring, he said, all that many spiritually sick people need is a good balanced diet and a disciplined routine. My principal, our primary uh, surgery, clinic, vestry hour, counseling room, call it what you will, is the pulpit and the teaching desk. If, in the end, I cannot get people to see this, I despair of them ever becoming what Christ means them to be. They will certainly never become the satisfied, happy and more important, useful people they could be. And so I've decided to revisit a text and a subject that I covered about four years ago 
but it's a subject that requires regular reminders because we are so prone to forget it and to return to bad habits. I have not, I've not noticed this so much at church, though it's present from time to time, or necessarily in church relationships. Again, it is present some, but I do notice it regularly in marriages and families and not just a few. Our word familiarity comes from the word family, and we've all heard that old saying that familiarity breeds contempt. Our greatest contentions and conflicts occur with the people we're closest to, the people that we say we love the most. And thus the Apostle Paul takes up this subject in his epistle to the Ephesians just prior to, in in the sequence of this epistle, these are the words he gives us right before he takes up the subject of husbands, wives, and children, before he talks about the family. And so, uh, while this instruction applies certainly to every individual in every relationship, I do ask family groups to pay special attention this morning. There are very specific instructions, for example, as to how husbands and wives should speak to each other, and there are very specific instructions as to how parents should speak to children and how children should speak to parents. In fact, every one of us is addressed in this passage. One other point about this text uh, that will help us set the table for our understanding is found in the few ver- a few verses that come before this, where Paul says this, Therefore, put away lying. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give a place for the devil. God knows that we are prone to spin the truth in favor of ourselves. He also presumes that there will be times when we're angry, sometimes legitimately so, but he clearly warns us not to sin when that happens. Your sin against me never justifies my sinning against you. God requires us to take care of our anger quickly before the sun goes down. What follows in today's text are specific instructions from God as to how we are to see the situation as well as what kind of words and attitudes we are to use and not use. It is certain that faith and obedience here will lead to blessings and unbelief and disobedience will lead to misery. As I was reading in Proverbs this past week, some verses caught my eyes and ears. Just a few. There's actually quite a few more in the book of Proverbs, but just a few. Uh, Proverbs 17, 14. The beginning of strife is like releasing water. Therefore, stop contention before a quarrel starts. Proverbs 17:27 He who has knowledge spares his words and a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. Proverbs 20 verse 3 It is honorable for a man to stop striving since any fool can start a quarrel. 
Proverbs 21.19, better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. Proverbs 26.21, as charcoal is to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. And many other warnings in Scripture of this sort. The Bible is not only concerned, uh, though, with what we say, obviously we should speak the truth, but also in how we say it, speaking the truth in love. That is the goal, that is the motive, that is the requirement. It matters how we say uh, how we say it and why we say it. In other words, your attitude is either driven by selfishness and pride or else humility and grace. Loving communion is always the goal, along with the honor of Christ, whose name we all bear. We represent him. So a great deal is at stake. In light of what I just said, I do hope that you will give this your undivided and prayerful attention. The sermon will end today with a list of items, practical things for us to do. But let's lay a bit more foundation. Don't listen for others, but rather for yourself. If there's a a log jam, it's because there are a bunch of logs that need to be removed and Jesus has already identified where the logs are located. If everyone else does wrong, God still requires me and you to do right. Jesus came to save you and to change you. Well, that's just the way I am. That's just the way I do it. That's just me. Well, then stop being you. That's the problem. Start being Christ-like. Grow mature, become something different. That's what the gospel is about, is to transform us little by little, sometimes big and dramatic and momentary, but most often little by little, reading the word, praying about it, thinking about it, practicing it. That's how we can say, you know what? Like First Corinthians says, such were some of you. You used to be this way, but you're not this way anymore. Now, you're like Christ. And that's really the context of Ephesians 4 here. And so, um, if I had to select a few verses in the Bible that, if applied, would transform every marriage, every family, and every other human relationship for the better, they would be these verses, Ephesians 4, 29 through 32. In fact, if in fact the goal for us as image bearers of God is to live in loving communion with one another, then of course good communication is essential. The Word of God has the power to create, let there be light. It has the power to destroy in God's judgment, Likewise, our words have the power to create and destroy, and also God's words and our words have the power to redeem and restore. What we say and how we say it will either promote communion or else it will rip it apart. Our words will either build up, edify, or they will tear down. And if you can learn to act and talk like Christ here, 
then you will have, have made not only immediate progress, you will have made something even more important, and that is generational progress. Your children and your children's children will reap enormous benefits. These Christian behaviors will become generational attributes. If Ephesians 4, 29 through 32 becomes your personal code of conduct, your happiness, I promise you, will be multiplied and you will truly become a blessing to everyone who is around you. But Hebrews 12, 14 through 15 sets before you only the only two alternatives. Pursue peace, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest, now here's the other alternative. If you don't do that, lest any root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by this many become defiled. And so we are made in the image of God. God made you, unlike the animals, to use your words. Those words were originally intended to be used to glorify Him, to be a reflection of who you are. Speech is one of God's greatest gifts to man. Now, your words are still a reflection of who you are, but sin has altered who you are along with what you say and how you say it. The Bible is clear as to the power of our words. James 3, 3 through 6, Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set amongst our, among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. Words, you see, are a form of behavior. When we speak, we're doing something. Words are a reflection of who we are. They reveal our hearts. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Luke 6.45, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For of the abundance, out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Words and acts, they can be forgiven, but they really can't be recalled. So when we say something and then later we say, I didn't really mean that, we begin to see something of the incongruity between our hearts, words, and actions. So let's look briefly at the first part of this text today. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Any ambiguity there? Unclear what's being said? The Greek word for corrupt is sapros, 
and it means rotten, putrefied, unclean. We might say nasty, ugly, foul, profane, or obscene words. These are words of death because they separate people. They kill, which is the opposite of peace. They are of no good use. They are bad words of any kind, and that includes our tone and our body language, which is another way of speaking. Our problems in this area often start with pride and selfishness. I can guarantee you that wherever strife and contentions are, uh, whatever you've had with anyone, pride and selfishness were somewhere in there. uh, Prideful words flow out of a person who can't break off a quarrel because they're generally filled with the idea that their opinion must prevail and they must win at all costs. But there is a greater right than being right. Paul asks, why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourself be cheated? We need to be careful about being wise in our own opinions. When we are self-absorbed, we are sure to create contention. When you lose your temper, yell and scream or swear or use harsh or hurtful words or needle someone else in order to provoke them to anger, you have not only lost the argument, you have also inflicted damage on others. Just take your finest piece of furniture and drive a 16-penny nail on the top of it. You can pull it out. You can putty the hole. And if you're really good, you can putty it where most people might not notice it. But guess where your eyes go every time you look at it? Yes. Maybe the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. That's a lie. You have all been hurt by words, and you have hurt people with your words. So, such corrupt words, both their content and their tone, destroy relationships, sometimes little by little. The very people that you say you die for, that you promise to love, honor, and cherish, you rip to shreds with your words. Because in that moment, in that outburst, You're the only one that matters. And if you could see yourself in that moment, you'd see a very bitter, selfish, and insecure person because people who are right, who are really right, don't need to shout, and they don't need to be snarky. Our verbal responses to people in situations are manifestations of who we are. They reveal something about our hearts. And when we're angry and our character slips out, sarcastic, harsh, and abusive speech come out and they fuel the fire. When bitterness and anger are present, the situation becomes intensified then with a harsh response. Proverbs 12:18. there is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. Psalm 37.8 calls us to refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. And Proverbs 15.18 warns a hot-tempered man 
stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contentions. While God created us to use our mouths to praise him, men and women in their rebellion find pleasure in using their mouths to do the very opposite. Our culture is filled with words that are dirty, nasty, foul, lewd, vulgar, profane, obscene, and even blasphemous. But the Word of God says that if you're in Christ, that not one single corrupt word should proceed from your mouth. Zero. Oh, well, I was... No. There's no ifs, ands, or buts here. No excuses. In fact, Paul says that no corrupt word should proceed out of your mouth. If it enters your mind, if it makes its way to your lips and to the tip of your tongue, stop. Don't let it out. By the way, this has nothing whatsoever to do with what the other person is saying. There's no contingency plan here. Now the positive. Let no corrupt word, zero, proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, building up. Now I want to just make clear here. That doesn't, we're going to see, that doesn't mean you can't correct someone. Doesn't mean you can't have a disagreement. A conflict, you got, you're going to have conflicts. You're all sinners. You're, you have disagreements about what's for dinner, much less other things. So it's not saying you can't ever correct someone, but it's how you go about that that matters, that makes the difference. So only what is good for necessary edification. Now here's where we put in place those, uh, put in the place of those unwholesome and hurtful words. Uh, our speech must always be for the good of others, even when we're angry or we're having a disagreement. Our words should turn the fire down and contribute to a solution to the problem. And if your words can't do that, then don't use any words at all. Not everything that could be said should be said. Well, I was just telling the truth. No, you weren't just telling the truth. You might have spoken the truth, but then you messed it up by saying it the way you said it. Adding a little twist, a little jab, a little roll of the eyes, a little something to make it sting and hurt. Because you weren't interested in helping or building up or encouraging or godliness. You were interested in winning. And if if the truth works out, and the truth can help you win, then you're happy to use that as a stick too. But that's not what the Bible says. Our words should turn the fire down. If your words can't do that, then don't say them. Now there's a place, again, for disagreement. But even those words are aimed at building up, not tearing down, solving a problem, not exacerbating a problem. Tell yourself, I need to be the Christian grown-up in the room right now even if you don't want to be. I have a confession. I'm the pastor. And I have to be the grown-up in the room way more times than I want to be. 
if you knew sometimes what I was thinking and what I was feeling and what I really wanted to say and do. Now, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I've had to learn this the hard way, but sometimes you just have to have a little conversation with yourself. Right now, what's needed for this is somebody's got to be a grown-up. I hope everybody is, but at least this person's going to be a grown-up, a grown-up Christian which means I have to deny myself and follow Christ. I have to act like Him. I don't want to. That's the problem. When I do it my way, it always goes badly. Right now, I get to deny what I want and do what He wants. That is how we solve problems. Always showing respect to one another, husbands and wives, parents and children, children to parents, siblings to siblings. And so I want to set before you a rather simple lesson on how to improve the happiness in your marriage, in your family, at the workplace, and in the whole world. And you might want to write these down. There are nine of them. We're going to go quick. You have what it takes to do this, if you will. In fact, if you would go out of your way and be sure to do three or four of these, uh, use three or four of these words each day, if you aren't already, there will be a dramatic improvement in your life in a very short period of time. This is counsel that will work if you will work because it's counsel from the Bible. When other people use these words that bless toward you, they make you a happier and a better person And when you use these words that bless toward others, you'll not only make them happier and better, but your own words will bounce back and bless you as well. Number one, gratitude. Romans 16, uh, 3 and 4, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. The simple expression of gratitude is powerful they are kind of like making a deposit in the bank i always say you're going to need to make withdrawals at some point but you can't withdraw if you hadn't put anything in the simple expression of gratitude thank you for whatever i appreciate what you did for me i appreciate what you do for others To be thankful is a state of being. To give thanks is an expression of what you are. To be thankful is an expression of who you are, a state of being, and to give thanks is an expression of what you are, and to give thanks is a true gift to others. So first, be thankful. Second, say so. Number two, Words of praise. First Thessalonians 1, 2 through 4. We give thanks to God always for you, always uh, for you, excuse me. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, love, uh, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. So words of correction and criticism seem to come easy for us. Any fly can find a sore. And so we need to be on the lookout for things to praise. 
Words of praise go beyond words of thanks. They are the declaration of someone's glory. Since we're all made in the image of God, we were all made for godly glory. And so there's bound to be some glory in each person that needs some words of praise. Number three, words of edification. We already read this text, Ephesians 4.29, our text today. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. The goal is to build up, to make stronger. These are words that help a person do more, help them be better. A stronger, a, that is a more godly spouse or stronger children or parents, all of these will make it easier for you to be stronger. This is a big part of what it means to show respect. Words of edification are means of helping those who are struggling or who, who, or who perhaps need to be struggling. These are words that encourage and motivate Romans 15, 1 and 2, when uh, we then who are strong ought to bear with the weakness of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us place his neighbor for his, excuse me, please his neighbor for his good leading to edification. Number four, words of encouragement. Hebrews 3, 12 through 13, beware, brethren, lest there be any, in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now at this point, we're just on number four, you see a pattern. All the words that bless overlap in their common goal to bring about the good of the people uh, that we're talking to and building them up. So you can say, well, we're just, aren't you just multiplying? And Yeah, we're, just think of this as expanding the, the single definition of edification. Of, we're just looking at different angles of the same concept here, right? They work together to accomplish the holiness and the happiness of those who receive our words. Words of exhortation and, and encouragement give direction toward good. Number five, words of kindness. Ephesians 4.32, And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. We have all been sad and depressed, discouraged, mistreated, or just had a rough day. We've known the power of a kind word. Kind words show concern, care, and attentiveness toward those who are suffering. We might be tempted to think that our words can't make a difference, but we would be badly mistaken. Even when people have sinned, even when they've sinned against us, kind words bring blessing. Jesus said, bless those who curse you. Now, what Jesus didn't say is say, well, bless your heart. He didn't say, no, he said really bless them. That's, that's, that's what's amazing here. To really bless, to do good, to say things that bring good things to bear. 
Listen, 1 Peter 3, 8 through 9. Finally, all of you be of one mind, have, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, a blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. God's watching. Number six, words of truth. Proverbs twenty-three, sixteen. Yes, my inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak right things. Words of truth sanctify and instruct. Jesus said to God, about God's word, thy word is truth. Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. Words of truth set us free. Jesus is the truth. And so words of truth given in the right way are blessings. Now the truth can be spoken harshly with the intent to wound or harm. And in such cases, the truth then has been defiled and it is, uh, then it's hard to take. Let me just tell you the truth about you. But truthful words that bless are given in a different context. Ephesians 4, 16 through 17. But speaking the truth in love, this is earlier in this same chapter, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Speaking the truth in love. By the way, remember, love is always about self-sacrifice. If I'm loving you, I'm giving up something from this end for your sake. Number seven, words of comfort. 1 Thessalonians 4.18, Therefore comfort one another with these words. In times of sadness, sorrow, and grief, we often feel helpless, but God has given us a kind of salve that when used wisely can bring real comfort and real blessing. When we bring God's word, our words of kindness and encouragement, words of truth, we remind one another of what we already know, but we need to hear again and again. Sometimes the impact or effect, effects of those words come at, the moment, come at that moment, but sometimes they don't come until a bit later. You ever say, as my mama used to always say, Right? Or as so-and-so used to say, those things get in there and then they come back when you need them. Praying with someone is a great way to bring words of comfort as you weep with those who weep and make your requests known to God. How about when a quarrel is starting to get going at your house, someone has the courage to, and I want to underline the next two two words, to kindly and graciously call for prayer before you continue the conversation. Could we pray about that? Not, hey, could we pray about it? You know, I want to hit you with prayer now. I just whacked you with the truth, and I want to whack you with prayer. No. So the heart, remember, you're desiring to edify, to help. You know, you could say something like this. It would be a gracious way to do this. You know what? I'm feeling a little angry right now, and I don't trust what I'm I might do when I get like this. Could we pray so I could ask the Holy Spirit to help me be godly while we have this conversation? 
Number eight, words of grace and peace. Romans 1.7, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now remember, grace always involves giving something that's not deserved. You might be tempted to use other words that would not be blessings, but you, being Christ-like, know better. Yes, you're angry, but that, of course, is exactly when grace is most needed. It's easy to be gracious when you're happy. It's actually not being gracious, it's being happy. Paul instructs us, let your speech always be with grace. Always be with grace. Seasoned as it were with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Proverbs 15, 1 and 2, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. Peace is something that has to be pursued. Romans 14, 19, Therefore let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. And that word pursue isn't a casual word. It is hot pursuit. Think about it. How am I going to accomplish peace? What can I do to make this happen? And then number nine, Words of reconciliation. Matthew 5, 23 through 24. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. This brings blessing and happiness to everyone. Go. Speak. Bless. Words of reconciliation are some of the most powerful words on earth. How much of a blessing is it to hear the words, your sins are forgiven? These are words that take away the enmity and the strife. They are, I like to call them, magic words. The moment the sin is truly forgiven, reconciliation occurs. Jesus is the standard. Forgive as Christ forgave us. Jesus doesn't forgive us and then avoid us. He calls us to himself in communion. And then the last phrase here, that it may impart grace to the hearers. To reach out, the word impart, to reach out, to bestow a gift. There is an assumption that those who receive our edifying words might not deserve them, but should receive them anyway. How often are we waiting on the other person to do the right thing? But you know, you know, God could crush us anytime he wants to. He can win every argument. Ephesians 2, 4-7, But God, who is rich in mercy, Are you rich in mercy? Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, and who had we trespassed against? Him. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness Toward us in Christ Jesus. 
I close again with the words of Pastor William Still. A soul is never so much in private with God as when sitting in church being sifted, searched, corrected, fed, and nourished by the ministry of the Word. Let's pray. O Father, the corruption of our mouths is a reflection of the corruption of our hearts. We pray today that by your Spirit and Word, we would come to see greater and greater sanctification, greater holiness in the way we speak. Expose our pride and humble us. Help us not to be contentious. May foul words, corrupt words, never cross our lips. And may we always speak the truth in love. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Christians, what do you believe? We believe in one God, Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father and he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. And we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. You may be seated. First Corinthians 11:27 through 32 Therefore whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner 
will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. So this table is for sincere followers of Jesus who are eager to do what he says. It is not only where we commune with him, but he says it's where we commune with one another. Anything less than that is not communion at all, but is pretension, a pretending to have communion by being seen eating bread and wine. Colossians 3, 12-17 captures the true heart of what this table is about. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Can you imagine if this was the prevailing rule at your house? This is how the booths, put your name in there. This is how the booths handle conflict. This is how we promote loving communion. This is how we pursue peace. This is how we demonstrate that we are the elect of God. Now, there's some practical Calvinism. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. O sovereign Lord, you are the creator and father of all men, for you have made, us, you have made and sustain us all. Help us to hate and forsake every false way, to be attentive to our condition and characters, to bridle our tongues, to keep our hearts with all diligence, to watch and pray against temptation, to be concerned for the salvation of others, and to always be in hot pursuit of peace for our good and for your glory. O God, may each of us be full of grace toward others, especially those closest to us, but also to strangers. Sanctify us in all our relations with others and give us humble, tender, and forgiving hearts, even as Christ has for us. Help us to fear you and hate our pride. Enable us to walk in your ways. And may we eat the labor of our hands and be happy. And may it be well with us. Go with us now as we head out into the world and go to our homes. May your mighty power be present. and May we feel the presence of your mighty power as we go forth in the name of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.
Receive now the benediction of the Lord. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Amen.